Sabaiti everyone, welcome back to Radio Okop Talk. I'm Rachna. Today we meet Ketsia Barrera, the founder of Innovando La Tradicion and Colectivo Mil Cincuenta Grados in Oaxaca, Mexico. Ketsia is an industrial designer, but she works directly with indigenous potters in Oaxaca, Chiapas, and Puebla. Using design as a common language, their aim is to revitalize the pottery tradition and the mindset or lifestyle it supports. You see, artisan textiles and crafts are often talked about in terms of technique, beauty, and functionality. But what about the artisan mindset? For millennia, artisans have been designing and creating products that support a certain way of life, a life that is typically in harmony with nature and is sustainable. Today, we treat design and sustainability as modern innovations. But in reality, artisans and traditional communities have been operating like this long before the modern world took shape. Oaxaca's pottery tradition dates back nearly 4,000 years. And during this time, Kitsia tells us, Oaxaca's indigenous potters have perfected their craft and their approach to living. It's profoundly wise and sophisticated. Kitsia is thoughtful and measured. She chooses her words carefully because each action, each word, each idea we birth and actualize has an impact. Everything has its cause. We are at a crossroads, Kitsia reminds us, and it is time to choose what direction we want to take. On this chilly October morning, let's head to Oaxaca and hear Kitsia share her thoughts on the road ahead. Hi, Kitsia, how are you? Hi, Rakshna. Fine. I'm very, very happy to be talking to you, finally. Yeah, yeah same here. Me too. And I wish, uh, more than anything, I wish I was sitting next to you in Oaxaca, <laughs> speaking with you, because it's one of my favorite places in the world. Um, can you tell me a little bit about what the morning is like in Oaxaca, where you are right now? Sure. It's a little bit cold. It's a bit chilly mm. and... Uh, sunny beautiful sunrise today and the fall arrived finally too it's one of my favorite seasons in Oaxaca oh, wow. yeah I think people forget that I mean at least I do forget that Oaxaca gets quite chilly you know it's quite high people yeah. normally say this is the cold of day of the dead so when day of the dead is coming or it's approaching then the weather starts changing and yeah the day the night of day of the dead it goes really really cold yes it's true i remember Mm -hmm. being there for that and it's um it's like three weeks away correct exactly just the end end of october exactly um well let's um if you don't mind, we can get started yeah. and hear a little bit about you and about Colectivo Mil Cincuenta mm-hmm. Grados. Mm-hmm. So how did, um, how did this come about, Ketia? Well, it started with a um, wish or desire to, to understand deep Mexico from a very different point of view, the, the point of view that, of a designer. Because my practice as designer back in the end of 1990s, um, I didn't want to work for like companies or any studio of interior design 
making another chair or another table, I think the world doesn't need that anymore. <laughs> so I was looking for a meaningful way to for these times. Yeah. So your husband, Diego, is um, also mm -hmm. an industrial designer? He is a graphic designer. And okay. yeah, and together he he runs all the communication, and together we um, shape the vision and of both of organizations, Innovating Tradition, which is the organization that we created first, is an NGO with the mission of increasing the commercial, symbolic, and cultural value of pottery. But, of course, pottery is also not only a cultural expression or a language in Mexico, but also an economic and commercial activity for millions of people. So we also created 1050 as the commercial branch of the NGO, Innovating Tradition, so that we could close the loop and bring the energy back to the artisans through a lifeline in high-end markets. Mm -hmm. Oh, wonderful. So, you know, um, Oaxaca has a tremendous diversity of artisans and crafts. Mm -hmm. What specifically within that drew you to pottery? Like, you know, why didn't you, say, choose textiles or silver or wood? I mean... I still remember the first time I saw a pottery object, a clay object, that was long ago, but it was it it was a moment in which I I was like the object revealed to me, you know, like it, it was not me looking at it, but it was the object like looking at me, talking to me. And what I saw there was so humble you know like this humble object that has so much complexity and so much um, information of you know it was a perfect rounded shape i realized it was a very complex process long process very like full of knowledge like very very um old and profound knowledge. There was no other reference of um, innovation in pottery at that time. The textile industry and fashion was already making some attempts, but pottery was still in the sidewalk of the markets and pottery was still invisible invisible you know like and yeah. i realized also the that the the chain the production chain all the way from the quarry to the shelf was very long and and the market opportunities were very very limited so i was looking for some sort of um challenge to test if design was able to, or design thinking was able and capable of taking such a challenge in a global world, you know, and if we could make it work for pottery, then 
we could make it work for any other crafts or any other material. So that's a little bit why we started with ceramics. It was the most difficult and it was also the most humble. Yeah, that's so interesting too. And I love how as old as time, as you know, as long as time is, mm -hmm. you can see a, somebody taking clay or mud and shaping it, you know, into a vessel. Mm -hmm. And it's something that's intrinsically human, you know. It's, and I think often we we feel like design with a with like a modern material or a manufactured material like steel, let's say, mm -hmm. is somehow more complex. But mm -hmm. in fact, you know, the complexity isn't the material; it's the it's the approach and the care, right? That exactly. you bring to it. And yeah. it, it is through pottery that we know what happened in, in the very first stages of humanity, you know? So it's the bricks of civilization, you know? Without pottery, we wouldn't know anything about ourselves. Let's step back a little bit to when you first started Innovado in 1050. Uh, when you and Diego, you know, went and visited 70 villages around Oaxaca. Can you tell me more about the experience of going to all those villages, um, what you saw, the conversations you had, and the ideas that germinated? Yeah, well, that was a very exciting time. All of the artisans and all the families that we visited were very, very generous with us, with their knowledge. And this quality of humbleness you know, was also very present in the lifestyle of the houses that we walked in, where there was no object that was decoration or that didn't have a function. They have been guarding this tradition for so many years, like for 4,000 years, they have been passing on this tradition orally from mother to daughter. The conditions are, the living conditions are very hard. So we were also shocked and amazed and inspired by people that even though they struggle to make a living out of this, it means so much to their family or to their identity that they continue passing the tradition and doing this because they love it. They just love what they do, you know, and they are masters in this activity. Yeah, we, we thought this was like something full of wisdom that we could learn so much from it. And we found 70 villages with all of them with different ways of, you know, building tools for life, you know. And all of these tools are related to maize and to self-sufficiency lifestyle. So we thought this is so important, you know, like we need this so much in, in the West or in the cities. You mean the 70 dis different... Um Villages were making items related to maize, like yeah. corn? Yeah, like for the kitchen, you know, like... Yeah, for cooking. For and, cooking, uh, making tortillas. for storing, for making tortillas. 
Can you describe some of the different techniques or styles that you've encountered? There are differences of how you build the, the object, like with, mm-hmm. you could do it, they do it through coiling. There's no like throwing wheel as we know it now. Like it's only modeling, coiling, or molding. Those are like the three different ways of building a shape out of scratch. Then you have also different styles for providing a skin, uh, like a, how do you say this, the finishing or, you know, like right. the appearance of the skin. There are also... The surface. Exactly. Yeah, the, yeah, the surface. Yeah. Because there is no glaze. There's um, no glazing. There's only... Yeah. From those 70 villages, there's only one village that uh, uses glazing, and it's that's in Santa Maria Zompa, and that was... Uh, promoted by Spanish, when the Spanish arrived, they wanted to have a, yeah, like glazed uh, ceramics for their food, and they introduced glazing. And there are many different ways of um, polishing and providing surface and finishing textures. You mentioned that... um the tradition is passed from mother to daughter. Is this is pottery and ceramics uh, typically practiced by women? Yeah, yeah. Main most of it is uh, practiced by women, and there are a few villages that men are included in the mm-hmm. process and the production, but it's mainly women, and this is. Maybe because in the early times, men will go to the field and women will stay at home taking cooking and taking care of the kids and also um, producing uh, this ware for exchange, what we call trueque, and selling pottery, there was a complementary income Trueque, mm-hmm. it's the practice through which people will exchange what they knew, what like their crafts, mm-hmm. for other objects or food that they could not produce. We need to understand that the people, the craftsmen and women that we um, see today in Mexico, they are the direct continuation of Mesoamerican people. And in Mesoamerican society, everybody was a craftsman. They all knew how to make tools for scratching maguey and getting fibers for clothing or other things. And they all knew how to make pulque. They all knew how to grow their food. They all knew how to make pottery, how to make their own clothes, how to make their own house, you know, build their houses. And some of them were specialized in one craft and they would produce that for domestic use, but also a little bit more 
for exchange. The Spanish conquests in the early 16th century had a tremendous impact on indigenous pottery. The Spanish introduced the potter's wheel, the enclosed kiln, and glazes. Some items like the comal, used to make tortillas, grinders, and cazuelas, or stew pots, survived, although indigenous designs and motifs deteriorated in many parts of Mexico, but less so in Oaxaca. Oaxaca was shielded by its mountainous geography and a mindset that was and continues to be resistant to change. In Oaxaca, Ketsia tells us, the artisans make well-designed objects to support a sustainable lifestyle. The materials they use come from the earth and go back to the earth. This template for living is incredibly relevant today. These days, the invasion of commercially manufactured goods is competing with handmade pottery. At stake are artisan-made objects and the artisan mindset. Traditional designs in Oaxaca, like you have the pichancha still in use, the comal, patojo, tinajas. I mean, there are, of course, the olla, the pots, the cooking pots. And yes. there are some shapes that are changing, but as long as the villages preserve their way of living and their wisdom on self-sufficiency, then the objects, that pro the tools that provide and that respond to that lifestyle will continue to exist. And this is what Colectivo and Innovando is focused on. We are not focused on the object as a fetiche or only as a goal. For me, objects are the materialization of a way of living in the world. And manufacturing and capitalism has created a system of production that values efficiency, acceleration, extraction of uh, resources, as if they were unlimited, you know, and as if complexity in a society was measured by a linear and progressive development and growth through machines and through brutal force, you know, like, so... Yes, <laughs> this is a very individualistic, competitive, patriarchal system that is, you know, like putting into very difficult situation life in this planet. You know? So what I value a lot and, and I think it's very, very challenging is to live in a way, and that's how potters have taught me, my, my teachers, the master potters have taught me that the objects that they make are tools for a production system that values life, you know, over-efficiency, that values the time and cycles of nature over their own needs, you know. These are objects that have a very low impact in, in the environment because they come from the earth and they go back to the earth without any single impact. And that's very sophisticated. 
you know, way of thinking. So if this is who we are from the origin, you know, if this is the mindset and the knowledge that the original people in this territory discover, master, and pass on to us, for me, I think this is the most important thing we need to preserve, not the object or the shape or, you know, like, but this way of thinking, this way of dressing, of talking, of eating, of acting, of thinking, you know, this is very sophisticated knowledge and very deep. It goes back very, very deep in time. And yeah, it's, you know, it's been here all along. All along. And we, you know, we sort of have these forums and conversations about sustainability and about Mm -hmm. climate change. Exactly, exactly. And yet the solutions, I feel like, already exist. And, but the solutions require a mind, they don't require new products they require a change of mindset totally you know and and shift of priorities you know like yes like yeah to to which system are we gonna invest in in which one do we want to live and in which one do we want to make a difference Right. This is a question we all need to, to make ourselves, especially right now, you know, we are in a crossroad as a civilization and we need to reset and shift our priorities. And we have, as you said, we have the example there. We, we have always have it. So it's just a matter of choosing how do we want to live and how do we want to die? Because it's the same, no? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Speaking of the crossroads that we are at, how has the pandemic impacted your work and the communities where you work? Has it impacted, you know, just in terms of life, um, everyday mm-hmm. life, of course, and help? But also in terms of the markets for mm-hmm. for ten fifty. Yeah, you know it has been very revealing time, and I am very grateful to COVID. I have to say, <laughs> because yeah, it was of course a shake, and we have been through many crises before, and we have learned how to walk in the dark over these 20 years of work, but of course this is the deepest crisis and the most uh, global, the most difficult we have encountered, but it also helps us to, to realize how strong we are as a community in 1050 degrees because the markets shrink, yes, but our way of being organized and, and all the last 20 years of work, we have built a network of relations based in confidence and based in our own skills. So we realize 
we of course need the market and if the market shrinks then our income also shrinks and we have to make a lot of adjustments but we also realize we can be self-sufficient as a company we are a cooperative and we took decisions together the 14 leader artisans that uh, are partners in in 1050 they all came together we had an assembly we decided we will continue to produce we will stay at our villages and we will continue to be self-sufficiency uh, self-sufficient in our way of operating so whatever was not in that frame then it fall down and that make us stronger like whatever decision was not within the frame of aiming for self-sufficiency then we had to make an adjustment and change you know but the villages the potters stay in their villages they stay with their families um, we have organized production in a way that they can continue to get income monthly and they bring back the money with objects that then we sell in, in the online shop and also through telephone calls and emailing and very old-time strategy, you know, like door-to-door kind of sales system. <laughs> and, and it's working because our network of allies in the market and also in donors and friends of Innovando and, you know, family and everybody, you know, like came together and and we are alive and kicking and that's also something that we feel very proud about we are all working very 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 hard and to get sales and to move this stock that all the villages are continue to produce but it, it hasn't been easy, but it has been beautiful to see how we are all one, you know, and it, it has been very transformative and we learned that we need to keep moving and keep changing and keep evolving as persons in a very human level. It was very scary for some of us, you know, at some point. But our strength was and still is, our strength is the calm of mind and equilibrium to say, okay, what do we have? Let's use that and move. Change and move, change and move and be calm. And this brings us to the end of another episode. I hope you found Kitsia's insights as profound and thought-provoking as I did. Indeed, we are at a crossroads. The wisdom, the path, the template for a more sustainable lifestyle has existed and still exists. Really, it comes down to making a choice and being committed to that choice. 
For more information on Colectivo 1050 Grados, please visit their website provided in the description of this episode. For any comments or feedbacks, please email me directly. Please share this conversation within your communities, and I look forward to connecting with you again next week. Kopchai lalai! Bye!